Now, there was a significant day last week. Many of you are aware of this on Friday. It's Black Friday, significant day, right? And, and that's a day in which a lot of people get up really early, line up outside doors, uh, rush into stores in order to, to get something uh, that they really want. And the reason they do that is because they think it's valuable. And they're willing to, to get up early. It used to be a lot of stores would even uh, be open Thursday night, and so people would shop all the way through the night in order to get these deals. But they were, these were things that they were willing to work hard to get because they really wanted it. In the passage we're going to look at together this evening, Solomon is, is telling his son, there's something that's really worth getting. You should want this, in a sense, more than you want anything else in this world. If you understand the book of Proverbs, you can probably guess what that thing is. It's wisdom. And he's telling his son, want wisdom more than the people on Black Friday want whatever they're getting. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. In this chapter, there are, are clearly three sections in this chapter. The question that often comes up as people wrestle through what to do is, is whether they're separate, completely distinct from each other, or whether they really are connected and are kind of three parts of one larger talk. I'm not sure that I can come to a firm conclusion. I'm just going to say my plan is to work through them in three separate Wednesday nights because I think they are separate sections. And, and we can see them as separate for a couple of reasons. If you look at verse 1, you'll see an introduction. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Then jump down to verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings. And then down to verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. And so you have the father calling out to a son each time before he begins to give him his instruction. And if you have a nasty Bible, you may even note that each of those verses I mentioned, verse 1, verse 10, and verse 20, is bold. And that's where the, the translators of the Nazbi were saying, we think this starts a new paragraph. You might actually have a translation that, that kind of sets these up as a new paragraph. And so that's just something that might be a help to you as you're working through and reading through Scripture and trying to, to see how is this tied together, what's going on here. That's them saying, we think 1 through 9 is a section. We think 10 through 19 is a section, and we think 20 through 27 is a section as well. We're, all of them are connected in that all of them emphasize wisdom as promising life. Look at verse 4. Keep my commandments and live. Verse 10. Accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Verse 11, guard her, for she is your, sorry, verse 13, guard her, for she is your life. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them. And verse 23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So that's why I said there is, I think, a connection between all of these. Uh, between the, 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 the value of wisdom and following these commandments and what it means for us in our life. But each of them has its own unique emphasis. And in the section we're going to look at this evening in verses 1 through 9, the emphasis is on getting wisdom, seeing the value of wisdom. And what we actually find in this section is Solomon telling his son what his father told him. 
In a sense, this is a grandfather's counsel to his grandson, given through the father. And it begins in the first couple of verses with an introduction. We see this often through Proverbs. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. So hear it. Give attention to it. This is instruction, and it's designed for you to know something, to have true insight and understanding. Because, verse 2, what the Father is giving is sound teaching. It's healthy. It's good. It's valuable. So do not abandon my instruction. Heed it. Don't fall away from it. Don't abandon it. And in some ways, this is something we see throughout the book of Proverbs. We've already seen this kind of introduction a few different times as we've worked through the book. But that's probably a good reminder to us that as we're thinking about how we are to teach, that often we're going to need to say the same kinds of things over and over again. We can't assume, well, I told them that in the past, and they've got it now. And so we kind of, we kind of see the way that Solomon's teaching. He's saying, listen again, here's another, here's something else you need to understand. This is my teaching, so listen to it. Heed it. Don't abandon it. Because it is good, sound instruction. But in verse 3, we, we see something a little bit different. Then in a sense, what Solomon's now is saying is what the rest of what I'm going to give you is what was given to me. Verse 3, when, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the side of my mother. That might seem like a, a, an interesting way to put it. When I was a son to my father, are you no longer a son to your father? I think the idea is when I was in the role of an obedient child, I was there with my father as my teacher, and I was in the position in which I was called to hear and heed his instruction, just like you are now. You're now in the position of a son to your father. I was in a position of a son to my father, called to follow his example. When he describes himself as tender and the only son in the side of my mother, that idea of tender in many ways is the idea of soft or weak, and I think therefore vulnerable, easy to be manipulated and potentially broken. And it's the kind of thing that we don't like to think of ourselves as in that position. And yet certainly our children are, they're vulnerable, they're tender, they're weak, and therefore they need the wisdom and instruction of their father and their mother. And when he says the only son in the side of my mother, there's some debate about exactly what that means. It could be saying Solomon was the firstborn of his mother, and so it could be before she had any other children. It could be really saying the significant one as the firstborn, as the heir apparent, that potentially there was an emphasis given to Solomon. Uh, I think at least as well, another option is that Solomon's mother loved him as if she were his only son. That, that the, the kind of love that she gave to him made, him made him realize how much she truly cared for him. She loved him as if she were, he were her only son and therefore taught him these things. And verse 4, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Let your heart, the very core of who you are, let them hold fast. Keep my commandments and live. Now, really, David's not coming up with that kind of idea. And we know that because, in part, what he talks about there when he says, let your heart, uh, then, he, then he taught me, it is really the idea of 
the, the Torah, the law, the instruction. And that idea of keep the commandments and live is found in Moses' writing. In Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. What does he say? All the commandments I give to you, you are to do it so that you may live. Or at the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 16, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live. And David is passing on God's instruction through Moses to his son Solomon. What is he saying? Keep the commandments and live. This is life for you. In the verses 5 to 9, we, we find really the heart of David's instruction to Solomon. And it's two commands that are basically the same command. They just kind of ramp it up a little bit the second time. He gives a command and then says, this is why. And then he gives a similar command and gives another reason why. And so, but let's look at this first set, verses 5 and 6. This is your command. Verse 5, this is why. Verse Six. The command, verse five, acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Get it. Buy it. Purchase it. That language almost might give us the sense of, of get a bride and pay the price that you need in order to get it. Make sure that you acquire it. Make sure that you get it, no matter what the cost is. And what is it? It's wisdom and understanding. And we've seen those several times in the book of Proverbs. And as I've said a few different times, we shouldn't think of those as two distinct things. They're similar ideas. Knowledge, wisdom, instruction, understanding. The truth about God, discernment, being able to think through what God has said and rightly live in this world. And the opposite of acquiring it would be to forget it or to turn away. The next part of verse 5, do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Now, it's interesting as we think about those things. In, in a sense, one of those we might call passive, and the other we might call active. Because what do you have to do to forget something? And the answer is basically nothing. If you don't do something, you're likely to forget it. That often we forget it because we just neglect it. Perhaps we forget it because we never really got it the first time. Maybe you've had this experience, you tell your children something, and you say, don't you remember I told you this? And they say, I don't remember that at all. Why? Well, they weren't really listening. They weren't really paying attention. And so you might forget it because you weren't really listening the first time. Or you might forget it just because you didn't care about it enough to remember it. You didn't take the time to think about it. Certainly, you've had this experience. Can you remember what Pastor Doran preached last Sunday? Did you forget it? Did you take time, perhaps, to, to try to think of ways that I could try to remember it? Maybe taking notes, maybe looking back, maybe during the week, listening to the sermon again, looking back over the passage, finding ways to get it into our minds, get it into our hearts, so that we would not forget it. But the second is a more active and willful turning away from the words of my mouth. Intentionally choosing something else. Not because well, I just forgot, because I didn't want to do it. 
I wanted something else. I wanted to follow my own path. And Solomon warns us about neglecting his wisdom, neglecting neglecting God's wisdom by forgetting or turning away from it. Why? Because if you do not forsake it, she will guard you. And if you love her, she will watch over you. That you should acquire wisdom and cherish it and keep it because it will guard you. And do not forsake and love her are, in a sense, saying the same thing, just opposite sides of the coin. Do not forsake her, but instead, love her. Hold fast to wisdom. And love, in Scripture, is not just a sense of emotional attachment. There really is an emphasis on the will. That you are choosing to commit yourself to it. And so when you are called to love wisdom, you are to say, I value it and devote myself to it. It is something that is worth pursuing. And when we do that, it guards us. And it watches over us. It protects us from harm. And we've already seen in the book of Proverbs how how wisdom does that for us. That it protects us from our own folly. From thinking our way is right when really we are simple and don't understand what's going on. It protects us from others who would call us away from God's truth, would entice us away. We've seen uh, sinful women, sinful men who are calling to us to walk away from wisdom. But if we guard wisdom, if we cherish it, we'll be protected from that kind of harm. We'll be protected from the folly of others and our own foolishness. And so Solomon tells his son, acquire wisdom or David actually is telling Solomon here, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. And then he repeats the command, but as I said, he he raises the emphasis a little bit in verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is, acquire wisdom, and with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Now, the beginning of that verse is is very challenging for people as they they try to translate it, uh, because It basically is beginning wisdom, acquire wisdom. And and the question really comes down to to one of two options. Is it saying something like, wisdom is the beginning, or wisdom is the chief thing, therefore get wisdom? And you might have a translation that that translates it that way. Wisdom is the most important thing, so get wisdom. Or as the NASB takes it, that the beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom. And I think there's probably some truth in both of them, but I think probably the best way to understand what actually is being said here is the way the NASB translates this. What's the beginning of wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get it. In a sense, you could say it this way, as one commentator put it. What it takes is not brains or opportunity, but decision. Do you want it? Come and get it. What's the beginning of wisdom? Getting it. What's the first step? Wanting it. Pursuing it. Recognizing how valuable it is. And that is heightened in the next part of the verse. With all you're acquiring, get understanding. This verse is really important because this is a reminder to us that whether or not we are wise 
does not depend on our intellect. It depends on our will. It depends on our desire. In a sense, Solomon is saying, how badly do you want wisdom? How much are you willing to work in order to get it? Now, now we are sometimes told in our day, you can have anything you want if you just put your mind to it. And the reality is that's not fully true. Uh, sometimes in sports, people say, you know, which team's going to win, the team that wants it more? Well, often it's the team that actually has the more talent. Our, our, our high school basketball team might really want to beat the Detroit Pistons, and they could want it a lot, but they wouldn't be able to do it. They don't have the ability. But in the sense, what, what God's telling us here is, when it comes to wisdom, do you really want it? It can be yours. You can get it. You can acquire it. But it's going to be costly. It's not going to be easy. Because what do you need to be willing to give up? The answer is basically everything. With all your acquiring. In a sense, what that saying is, in exchange for all of your acquisitions, you can acquire wisdom. It's almost like it's a trade. Uh, my boys love uh, trading things right now, toys, cards, various things. And, and when you're trading, you're trying to figure out how much am I willing to give up for this thing? I really want this card. I really want this toy. I really want whatever it is this person has. And so what do I have that this person wants and what, can I, what am I willing to give up to get that? And sometimes they'll say, no, I'm not going to make that trade because this is more valuable to me than that. And what Solomon's saying, as you look at everything you have, all of your acquisitions, and he says, here's wisdom. What will you give for it? The answer is, you should give everything for it. All your acquisitions. It's more valuable. It's more significant. This is what you need. This is what you should want more than anything else in this world. And often we know how badly we want something by what we're willing to give up for it. You find someone and they say, you know what I want more than anything else? To win an Olympic gold medal. You say, oh, really? So, so what are you doing to get there? I've been watching the Olympics a lot. Right? I'm not sure that's going to work. You know, maybe you don't need to start like training. I get really tired when I start training. And I have to get up early and I'm going to, you know, miss out on some sleep. I really would rather hang out with my friends. But I really want a gold medal. You don't really want a gold medal. You might like the idea of having it, but you don't really want it. You certainly don't want it enough to really pursue it in any meaningful way. And so the question for us this evening is how badly do we want wisdom? What are we giving up for it? What are we teaching our children? about how significant wisdom is? What are we willing to get out, cut out of our life so that we and our family can actually better pursue wisdom? Because we need to acquire wisdom and with all of our acquiring to get understanding. Why? Because it will exalt you. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Now it's not just protecting us, it's lifting us up. And in a sense, we, we've moved beyond just loving her to cherishing her. 
prizing her, esteeming her, valuing her and showing how much wisdom means to us. And, and I think it's, it's interesting that in a sense, if we exalt wisdom, we will be exalted. That if we prize wisdom, if we cherish wisdom and we put wisdom up, we will find that we ourselves are exalted and we will be honored if we embrace wisdom. Verse 9, it will be a crown on our heads. She will place on your head a garland of grace and she will present you with a crown of beauty. So here we find David's instruction to Solomon that Solomon is now passing on to his son. And he says, go and get wisdom with everything in you. Get it. So what does this mean for us? One of, the, one of the truths that I think a passage like this should emphasize for us is the importance of tradition. That, that part of what Solomon is doing is saying, I'm not just telling you my teaching, I'm telling you my father's teaching. And we already saw David's not just giving Solomon his teaching, he's giving him uh, Moses' teaching. But there is a significance of passing down the wisdom that has come before us, especially the wisdom that comes from God's word. But we live in a day that tends to look down on anything that's older. We tend to think we don't want someone in a position of authority giving us teaching because we can kind of all figure it out on our own. And, and I want to be careful because I don't think we can be dogmatic about these things. But there certainly is a, a continuing minimization of any kind of authoritative teaching. That, that in churches very often, you don't have someone preaching with authority. You have someone sitting down and giving a talk to people. Because who am I to tell you how to live? We're all in this together. We're all kind of working through things. And Again, this isn't necessarily good or bad, but it's at least a sign of our culture. We, we, we tend to, give a, to do away with titles and honorifics. We don't call people Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. It's just, oh, just, you, you, that was my dad. Right? Just use my first name. And, and that's because there's this emphasis of we're peers. And yet... If you look at back at the very beginning, hero sons, the instruction of a father. The language that, that Solomon uses there is kind of interesting. It, it's, a, it's a specific kind of instruction. What kind of instruction? Fatherly instruction. Which I think emphasizes both personal and authoritative instruction. It comes from your father, and that means you need to listen to it. And so there is a proper kind of authority that we need to put in those above us and a proper valuing of tradition. I saw this quote given I thought was interesting. Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. And that was, I think, an important reminder for us. How foolish to think, well, we obviously know what we're talking about because we're alive today. 
and not consider, well, actually, probably people in the past may have had something as well that would be helpful for us to consider. A second implication for us as we think about this passage. If we are to acquire wisdom, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, have we done that? If we're to get wisdom, do you have it? And how would you know if you have it? Well, one of the ways you might know that you have it is if someone comes to you and needs wisdom, you can give it to them. Someone comes to you and asks, what do I do in this situation? And you say, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to help someone. In a sense, what you're saying is, I don't know that I got the wisdom I should have gotten. Now, that's not necessarily a problem because none of us have all the wisdom we need. Which means we need to be in a, a lifelong pursuit We need to constantly be seeking to get more so that we can tell people what God has said in his word to deal with the situations they're facing in life. Certainly to help us to know what we need to do as we're facing the different situations that we face in life. We think about it this way. Can you, in a sense, say of Solomon, I learned, I have learned wisdom from my teachers my parents, my pastors, my teachers. And so now, my son, my daughter, hear my instruction that I've received from them. He said, I don't know how to teach my children. Well, learn. Get the wisdom you need so you can pass it down to your children. And one of the encouraging things to me in this passage is the reminder that that wisdom is meant to be generational. Jesus talked about wisdom being justified by her children. And I had to kind of wonder. Solomon here is talking about what David used to say to him. And what was it that he explicitly says David told him? Acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. And I thought, you know, when when God comes to Solomon and says, what do you want? I wonder if in his head, he heard his father saying, son, acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. He said, I know what I should ask for. Because my dad told me this all the time. I couldn't get out of my head. And I knew this was the most important thing. And so when I had the opportunity to say, what do you want most, Solomon? I knew exactly what to say. Because my father taught me that. And now he's passing it on to his children. And so when we help teach our children, we're not just teaching the next generation, we're preparing them to teach the generation after that. But does that always work? If you look at Solomon's life, the answer is, it didn't seem to go from Solomon to his son Rehoboam. And that's a reminder, as we'll see in Proverbs, this isn't, this isn't a guarantee. is isn't saying, you do these things, you, you know your children will walk with the Lord. But sometimes it does happen. And in fact, often it happens that way. And so we have the chance to pass on the wisdom that came from Moses to David to Solomon to us, to our children, to their children, and to their children's children. To pass on the godly heritage and wisdom that we find in God's word. And so do you have that wisdom? Do you value it? 
Are you willing to give up everything in order to get this wisdom? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who teaches your children. And we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you that we can have it. You've told us, come and get it. Lord, may we do that. We have so many opportunities in which we can learn from your word. Lord, help us to cherish it. Help us to love it, to not forget it, to not forsake it. To keep your commandments so that we might live. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.